my favorite abiding memory of the kids' Christmas pageant was uttered by one of our shepherds. And he said, let us go to Birmingham and see this thing the Lord has done. Um, that kid is now a grown man. He's 20 years old. He's in college. But man, you never know what's going to happen at that kid's pageant. And I want to encourage you to show up. Uh, we are so honored and thrilled uh, about what God's doing on the north side. Tripp and his wife, Rachel, and their team are so beloved uh, to us here on leadership at Trinity. And I would uh, echo what Tripp is saying. Th- this is really a new day in the life of our uh, Northside Parish. And so if you um, gave it a chance and it was 4 p.m. and it just wasn't going to work for you, 4 p.m., especially if you have little kids, is the literal worst time to do church. Uh, 10 o'clock at Rome, it's going to be a really beautiful time for our north side. So um, pray for the north side. And also, if you live in that part of town, uh, give it a chance. Um, one of the things that we care so deeply about at Trinity is holding people and mission and resources with really open hands. And we really want to see God uh, push that, that congregation into a new, a new season of flourishing. Okay, so I have to give a football update before we, uh, before we preach because you can't dish it out if you're not willing to take it. Uh, so I will say this, um, the game was really close until it started <laughs> and then it wasn't as close. And if you don't know what, that, what I'm talking about, it, that's okay. Um, and, and I also recognize, so if you're into the Enneagram, uh, I, I'm an eight on the Enneagram and that means I can be a little mean sometimes, but I don't mean to be mean. And so I just want to say if I, if I've hurt your feelings, uh, at any time in the past, so tech people, Florida people, Auburn people, Saints fans, Yankees fans, I just want to say, I'm really, truly sorry. Um, <laughs> But I can take it. The text messages started coming in last night, you know, about halftime. And I think it's all really fun and in good fun. But I do think it's important for you to know that I would never seriously injure a person. I only had one one thought of that years ago. Um, A a young woman attended uh, our church when she was a collegiate athlete down the road. And her father was a a collegiate coach at at, uh, a place... um, in Gainesville, Florida, and then up in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember one day looking out and seeing this man over here. And I seriously thought about withholding communion from him. But um, cooler heads intervened, and we let him come and receive communion. And if you know who that guy is, you know that that was a really big choice on, on my part. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 3. As a pastor, it's so funny when you look out and see people like that in the middle of a sermon, you have like this conversation in your head while you're doing the sermon. And um, yeah, see, seeing Urban Meyer in our sanctuary was quite unsettling. Um, but I'm glad. I mean, he clearly loves the Lord. So thank, thanks be to God for that. I kid, I kid. It's a joke. I'm an eight. It's what we do. It's how we roll. Second Sunday of Advent, a beautiful opportunity. And I, I, before I read, I just want to remind you, today is our, our Lazarus Christmas dinner. And I, I really hope that if you have it within your heart and your margins from 2 to 5 to come downtown with us and serve a wonderful feast to the homeless men and women of our city, that you'll join us. It's going to be a beautiful time. And I'm super excited. I'll be leaving here and going down there. And I hope to see you there. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, we ask you today to give us the grace of God to think deep and true thoughts about the Bible. Lord, on this second Sunday of Advent, we pray for your help and we ask God for you to have mercy on us. We pray, Lord, that you would wake us up to the reality of what it means to get ready and to be ready for Christmas, God. We don't want this day to sneak up on us. We need your help so that that would not be the case. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So last week, we told you to get ready. We told you uh, this is about waking up. Um, This week, we're going to say today is the opportunity to prepare the way of the Lord, to get your driveway ready, if you will. I'm going to say just a few things to you about this passage, things that I hope will help us begin to orient our hearts and our minds around what it means to be prepared, what it means to get ready for Christmas morning. Um, And I hope you'll follow along with me just as we walk through a kind of reflection uh, of sorts, a lectio, if you will, um, of of this passage. The first thing that we need to sit with is this. John uh, the Baptist, uh, truly probably the, the, the last of the Old Testament prophets, Uh, lived his life, spent his life in the wilderness. He did not uh, think Jerusalem was the spot to be. And that would have made a lot of sense because there were lots of people in Jerusalem. It was the seat of power, both religious and political power. And yet John made a choice to leave that population center and go and be in and spend time in a lonely place. And every time I think about John, who really is the, the, the principal figure of Advent, if you want to think about Advent, you've got to think about John the Baptist. When I think about him, uh, my mind is drawn to that beautiful uh, verse in Hosea chapter 2. The prophet Hosea says, or the Lord through him rather says, uh, therefore I will allure you and lead you into the wilderness and give you back your vineyards. And that picture from Hosea reminds us that it's sometimes only when we uh, leave the, the crowds and the hurry and the noise that we actually receive or our fruitfulness returns to us. Our vineyards are given back to us. John the baptizer uh, left the city for the wilderness. He entered into quiet places and his sermon uh, was very straightforward. Uh, he was like a one sermon guy. Over and over and over again, he said, the kingdom of God is near, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John says that over and over and over again. He said, you got to get ready. And the picture that John is 
uh, referencing from the Old Testament that we read today in our passage is a picture of a king um, in a distant land who's wanting to come home, wanting to come back to to his dominion. And he gets to the point where he's near, but he can't get where he wants to go because the way to his palace or the way to um, him being with you and me is cluttered or uh, it's deteriorated. It's full of debris. It would be like if you lived in the woods and you uh, stopped tending to your driveway and it just became overgrown. And so what John is saying is, I want you to look at your driveway. I want you to look at the point of access that would exist between you and God and answer the question, is it a straight and clear way or is there clutter and briar and bramble and debris? And that's why this is such a powerful Advent message because this is an opportunity for people like you and me to step back from our busy lives and say, if God wanted to come close to me, if God wanted to show himself to me, If God wanted to commune with me, would it be easy for him to get to me? Or is there clutter? Is there debris? Is there a sense of things being overgrown, not tended to, that would impede that access? That was John's message. And I believe that that message is as relevant today for me as it was for the people standing out by the Jordan River hearing it 2,000 years ago. Because it's a simple question. What does the landscape of your life look like? And I'm going to tell you, if the landscape of your life is hurried and distracted, if there are untended to sins, God still loves us. And yet that enjoyment of relationship with him might not be what it could be. So this isn't about whether God likes us or not. This is about whether or not we have ease of access. And the truth of the matter is, y'all, sin keeps us from experiencing the peace of God. It just does. Um, distraction keeps us from experiencing the joy and the peace that God would want to bring. That's just a statement of fact. Now, we have all kinds of reasons for the clutter. We maybe even have reasons for the fact that we haven't gone out and done some weed whacking in a little bit, right? Like life is hard, life is busy, uh, I'm tired, I feel discouraged. And yet Advent is a time as we light candles and we mark time with the calendar, Advent is an opportunity for me to look up and do what we would call an autopsy without blame. Just cut in and see what you find. Because so often what we do is we're afraid to do an autopsy without blame because we're, we feel guilty or we feel anxious or we don't know what to do in response to what we see. And so then we pretend that uh, denial is just a river in Egypt. Come on. Dad joke. Come on. We pretend that things are not discouraging or cluttered or hard or weird. And we rationalize those things. This is the opportunity for you and me to step back and say, what's what's the driveway look like? This is why for me, examine is such an important part of my spiritual life because it's the place where I actually step back and ask the question, like how, how am I actually doing? What does my driveway look like? Are there things in the way that I actually need to name even if I don't know what to do with those things? And that's the first job. That's the message of John. John Howard Yoder. Um, Matt, are you in the room, Yoder? Matt Yoder? Um, I don't know if John Howard Yoder is, is even distantly related to Matt Yoder. I would imagine maybe, just because the name Yoder, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're related. Well, here's what John Howard Yoder says 
about repentance. He says, to repent is not to feel bad, but to think differently. And so when John the baptizer asks us to repent, he's not necessarily asking you to like come to an altar weeping, you know, maybe you'll feel that way. I mean, I have at times when I've started to think differently, what he's really asking us to do is to sort of look at our lives in a new way and maybe change our minds. Um, Metanoia, the Greek word for repentance means to think about your thinking. And I just want to ask you, when was the last time you thought about your thinking? This is a great opportunity to do that. Number two, people went out to hear John. So if you think about this passage in a really common sense way, he was out there in the woods and people left the city and went out into the woods. They went out to hear him and they confessed their sin and uh, they came to him to be baptized. And I think this is a beautiful uh, picture of what it means to build up and lead to Christmas. Um, This idea that we stop and we ask the question, how's the driveway? And then we begin to pray about it. We begin to say to the Lord, like the driveway's not looking great. I'm busy. I'm angry. I'm addicted. Uh, There are all these things that are keeping me. I'm cynical. And I just lay down in that cynicism, all those things that would keep us from being the men and women God wants us to be. God wants us to hear. And as the people went out to John the baptizer, I believe that we can go out and we can think these thoughts, but that's going to require you to find real opportunities to leave the busyness of your life behind, even if it's just for a minute and ask real thoughtful and even profound questions. We can't keep doing what we've always done and see things in a new way. We just can't. So that means this is an opportunity for people like us to disrupt some of our rhythms and status quo. And I just want to say to you, you're being invited, just like me, at some point over the coming weeks to disrupt our status quo so that we can see things that we maybe haven't seen before. If we don't, if we're not ready to do that, that's okay, but we ain't going to get what we need to get. We're not going to see things in a new way. We're just going to see what we've always seen. So people would go out into the wilderness, and I would just simply ask you, what does it look like for you in the coming weeks to somehow symbolically enter into the wilderness, to leave your rhythms and do something new. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I I know what it looks like for me. you got to figure out what it looks like for you. Uh, We've got about nine copies of Trevor Hudson's little Advent devotional. It's not too late to pick it up. That might be a way for you to leave your routine and do something new. Um, I'm so loving that little devotional. and it's, it's out there. You can find it on, on Amazon. It's like nine bucks, I think. It's a very simple way to say, I'm going to put a flag in the ground to go into a quiet place, into a different place. But you figure out what that looks like for you. So while these people are all gathering out there, they've come out to hear him. They've come out to like listen to the preacher. Uh, John turns to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he has some really strong words for them. He actually has some really provocative words for, for them. He calls them the baby snakes of grown-up snakes. I mean, if you want to really like stir it up, um, call somebody a baby snake of a grown-up snake. That's exactly what John the baptizer says to these religious people. And he says to them, um, you, if you unexamined, if you live in an unexamined way, um, you're going to end up um, with the judgment of God coming on you. And what he was doing was basically saying, you lot are here because it's faddish. It's cool to be here. God wants you to do more. 
He wants more than just come because the crowd's coming. And I think that's a good thing for us to think about, even as Christians. It's like, do we go to church because it's what we've been told to do? Do we name ourselves as Christian because that's what our parents did or that's what society in some pocket of your social network expects of you? When John calls the Pharisees and Sadducees baby snakes of grown-up snakes, what he's really saying is um, you have an opportunity to be where you are for the right reasons. Step back and think about your motivation. Why are you doing the things you're doing? And then the third movement is kind of alarming. He says, because an axe will be laid to the root of the tree. And then John says these words, I want you to bear fruit that is worthy or in keeping with your repentance. So if you're going to think about your thinking, if you're going to metanoia, if you're going to repent, then I want you to bear fruit. Your life ought to be the kind of life that ultimately signifies a kind of fruit that's consistent with the way that you're thinking about your life. Dallas Wheeler would put this another way. He would have said in the, um, about 15 years ago, the system of your life is perfectly engineered to achieve the result that it's getting. Or in other words, you're exactly the kind of person who does the things you do. And what happens to us is we want to be like, well, no, I did that, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm not that kind of a person. And what John would say is that we must be the kinds of people, not through sheer effort and work, but the kinds of people that trust that if we examine our lives under the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives will come into a kind of agreement with that examination. And that the parts of us that are out of agreement need to go. And if you've ever spent time in a garden, you've got to be willing to cut some stuff off in order to cultivate real and abiding and meaningful life. Advent is a season for you and me to examine what's going on in our lives and frankly allow the gardener of our souls to remove some things that don't need to be there. And the message is about to be reinforced even more so Are you willing to let things go? Are you willing to see your life shaped in a new way? See, God's best for you and me is not simply that we just go native. That we just become any old way. That we do any old thing. That that whatever happens, happens. That's not God's way. Um, Ask a gardener, ask a parent, ask a teacher. If you just let people go native, it's not always the best. Because we grow in on ourselves. We become unwieldy. We become tangly. It gets messy. And it actually impedes the production of fruit, which is the very thing the Lord wants us to have. So before we jump into the last bit, I just want to say something I learned many years ago from from Dallas Willard, who uh, probably for me, Dallas has been the the most primary shaping voice in my own life as a Christian. I, I don't I think I can say that with conviction. I love N.T. Wright. I love Eugene Peterson. Um, Dallas, I love C.S. Lewis. Dallas has changed my life more than any other uh, Christian thinker that I've ever encountered outside the the sacred text of the Bible. And Dallas said uh, many years ago that if we're going to lead a repentant life, we have to engage what he would call a VIM model, vision, intention, and means. And what Dallas would say is without a proper vision of our life, then any means we employ will at best uh, falter. Uh, They'll fall by the wayside. So if we're addicted to pornography and we decide just to install softwares 
That's just means. He said, you must have a vision for a good life, for the the life of a a clutter-free driveway and communion with God. That will then sustain your intention to support that vision. And then the means, the things you do, the tricks you do, the skills you employ, the disciplines you have, will then be sustained toward a greater desire. So if you just think, I should read my Bible, but you lack a vision for what intimacy with God looks like in a joy-filled life, a life increasingly free of sin, then just saying, I should read my Bible, or I should exercise, or I should floss, is never going to work. And I believe the evangelical church is we're, we're stuck with means because we lack vision and then we lack a sustaining of intention regarding that vision. So I believe in a big way, one of the gifts of Advent is to give us a vision of what it looks like to be with God. If you get clear about who you want to be and where you want to go, your intention will be sustained in ways that will surprise you. And then the means will actually fall into place, not as an end in and of themselves, but they will be something that supports something bigger. Finally, Jesus, uh, or John rather, uh, uses the image of uh, baptism and a winnowing fork. And this is where we'll, we'll end. Uh, John, who's the, the last of the Old Testament prophets, basically, he, well, he actually says this. One who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So first, baptism. Um, Two Greek words. Babto means to dip. So washing your vegetables, babto. Um, Hopping in the bathtub, babto. B-A-P-T-O, that's the Greek word. And then there's another Greek word, baptizo, B-A-P-T-I-Z-O, And that means to soak, to drench, to the bone. It was the word used when vegetables were pickled or ships would sink at sea. They were not simply dipped. They were saturated to the bone. So when something was baptized, it would never be the same. How many of you had uh, put baseball gloves under your bed when you were kids to break them in? Raise your hands. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Um, I lived with a lump in my bed my whole childhood getting my baseball gloves ready. To do that, you had to soak it in oil, put something inside it that was meant to be there, and then put pressure on it that was sustained. And over time, what would happen is that that glove would be baptized. It would turn into something different, something like itself, but infused with something else that actually made it useful. When John says Jesus has come to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is Jesus has come to actually make you into the thing you were always meant to be, but without pressure and oil, without hiddenness, you will never be as useful as you were meant to be. And some of us are like an unbroken-in glove. We look the part but we're just not as useful as we were meant to be. Jesus wants to baptize you, soak you to the bone, even change your constitution in the Holy Spirit. You have to let him do it because that's what he said he came to do. And the second thing Jesus wants to do is to stand in front of us with a winnowing fork in his hand. And I've said this elsewhere at Trinity, but I'm going to say it again. So the way that winnowing would work is imagine that this is a hallway between two buildings and air would flow through the hallway. When they would collect grain 
grain has husk and wheat, has good stuff, bad stuff. And what they would do is they would pile it up and then an ox would tread on it and break it into pieces to separate the husk, the good stuff from the bad stuff. And the bad stuff was kind of light and the grain had a sense of substance to it. And so when Jesus is said, or it's said of Jesus rather, that he has a winnowing fork in his hand, John is speaking to the last part of that process. So if you want your life to just simply go native, you would never invite oxen to tread on the substance of your life, something big, something other than you that feels like it's pressing in on you. But that's what Jesus says uh, has to happen for us to be the people we're meant to be. You have to go through a breaking, a, a, a trotting upon it's where we're, it's really unhelpful that we Americans, I mean, we say, don't tread on me. You see how our, our collective national sin like really works against some of this spiritual growth stuff. Like don't tread, nobody step on me. Well, wheat can't say that if it ever wants to be useful. And then what would happen is, is the ox would do its destructive work. And some of you may feel like I'm in that place, like something's walking all over my dreams and my, my passions and what I want. And then they would pile it up in a hallway and air would flow through it because, you know, they didn't have like fans run by, by electricity back then. And the farmer would take a fork and he would stick it into the pile and throw it up in the air. And the wind or pneuma, uh, another word used for the work of the Holy Spirit, would catch the light stuff, the chaff stuff and blow it away. And then the true stuff of substance would fall down. So things would be separated. What Jesus wants to do in you and me is to break us down enough to stick the winnowing fork in and let the wind of God blow away things that don't need to be there. The question we have to answer again and again and again as we live our lives is, am I willing to be broken and am I willing to allow a form of separation occur? That's the call of Advent. But really, y'all, that's not just the call of Advent. That's like the call of what it means to tend to your life. And so that means some of you are going to have to let some stuff go. Some of us are going to have to be willing to see some stuff blow down the hallway. And I would just simply ask you to open up your imaginations for that. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I sense what it looks like for me. I, I know my tendency to chase the chaff down the hall. <laughs> but I want that. <laughs> and it's going to be a little different for you. But the feeling is the same. So when John says Jesus came to do something, he came to soak us and make us useful. And he also came to separate some of the junk from the really, really good stuff. God wants to shake the mixture out of you. If you're able to stand. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.